Then there were five, chapter two. But first, I want to say hi to Jack and his mom Katie, who sent me a really nice email. I hope you like this book, Jack. Okay, chapter two, A Talent for Trash. On Monday afternoon, Rush harnessed Lorna Dune to the Surrey. Cuffy gave them an old bedspread to protect the back seat, and he and Randy sat up in front. It was a wonderful hot afternoon. There had been no rain for a long time, and the dust lifted in clouds from the road. Beside the road, the draperies of clematis and wild honeysuckle, the ditch armies of milkweed and bouncing bet, were white with an ashy powdering of dust. Beyond them rose the woods, full of new leaves, full of green light and shade. The Surrey smelled of dust and hot leather and Lorna Doone, but from the woods came faintly a cool, mysterious scent of moss and ancient earth. Sunlight glittered on the whip. "'Oh, Rush, isn't it fun?' cried Randy. "'Just you and me off exploring like this.' "'On a mission for our government, you mean,' Rush said rather stiffly. But a second later he turned and grinned at her. "'It's nifty,' he agreed." "'Let's try this one,' suggested Randy. A road turned off to the right. Beside it stood a mailbox on a post. The post was planted firmly in a large milk can filled with earth, and around its foot a frill of timothy and a daisy had also planted themselves in a sort of little garden. "'Addison,' Randy read on the mailbox. "'That sounds like a good, sensible name.' He pulled a rein, and Lorna Doone turned in. She walked slowly, for the road wound upward. Her hindquarters moved up and down, up and down, like two rocking, shining hills, and her tail switched at the flies. "'What do you think they'll be like, the Addisons?' Rush wondered lazily. "'Or maybe it's only one, a single Addison. I seem to see them as tall people with square jaws, kind of serious and industrious, and not laughing much.' "'Oh, I don't,' Randy said. I think they're two old, jolly people, fat, you know, with morning glories, and baby chickens and calves, and maybe some cookies. A confused description, but I get the general picture, Rush said. Whichever one is wrong has to wash the supper dishes tonight. The road sloped gently upward. It was flanked on either side by Austrian pines, whose branches were longer on one side than the other, as if the wind blew always from the same quarter. Beyond the trees the pastures sloped up on the right and down on the left. Small Swiss cattle dotted the hillside. They were cream-coloured, darkening to mushroom brown. "'They're much prettier than the usual cow,' Randy said. "'They look more like real animals, deer or antelope or something.' Morning doves cooed softly everywhere, and a pair of truant white hens picked their foolish way along the road." They rounded the bend, and there, nestled in a curve of hillside, lay the farmhouse, like an egg in a nest. It was white, the way all good farmhouses should be, and it was shaded by two huge soft maple trees, two tall fountains of green leaves. Flowers grew along the fence, and not only along the fence, but in unexpected haphazard clusters in the grass. In one place there were frail pink poppies dropping their petals in the slightest breeze, in another there was a steeple of hollyhocks. There was a swing hanging from one of the maples, and near the house in a little pen stood a baby with a fluff of yellow hair. 
The house was smothered in vines and shrubs, and its breath came out of it sweet and warm, smelling of gingerbread. "'Hello, baby,' said Rush. "'Folks home?' "'Bah!' replied the baby, drooling. "'He's cute, Rush. He looks the way Oliver used to. His hair kind of grows sideways like his did.' "'But they don't really get faces till they're around four years old,' said Rush, losing interest. They knocked on the screen door and looked in. They could see a big black coal stove and not much else. There was a soft padding of bare feet. A little girl about ten years old looked out at them. She wore a faded blue calico dress. Her cheeks and nose were pink with sunburn, and her blonde hair fell straight to her shoulders. "'Hello,' she said. "'Who are you?' "'We're the Melendies,' Rush told her. "'At least we're some of them. "'We came to see if you people had any scrap for the government.' "'Scrap? "'You mean used metal for the soldiers?' "'That's it.' "'Well, wait, I'll ask Mom. "'You can come in.' "'She held the door open. "'I'm baking some gingerbread.' "'You are?' "'Randy was impressed. "'Do you know how?' "'Yes, it's in the oven now. "'You can smell it. "'Smell it?' Mmm, Rush lifted his nose rapturously, and looked as if he were going to bay like a wolfhound. "'Well, you folks sit down. I'll get Mom.' The little girl went out of the room. They heard her bare feet flipping upstairs. "'Nice,' Randy said, looking around the big country kitchen, with its table already set for supper, its red linoleum floor, its green vine-covered windows like windows under a waterfall. "'Swell,' agreed Rush." They sat there, not saying anything else, shy of their own voices in this stranger's house. The bare footsteps came down the stairs again, followed by grown-up ones in shoes. A tall lady in a lavender dress followed the little girl into the kitchen. "'Hello,' said the lady. "'So you're the Melendies. We are the Addisons. I'm Mrs. Addison, and this is my daughter Daphne. "'And I'm Rush, and this is my sister Miranda.' "'Randy!' "'corrected Randy indignantly. "'I understand you've come to collect scrap, "'and I'm very glad to see you because we have lots of it. "'I hope you have some way of carrying it.' "'Our carriage,' said Rush elegantly. "'Daphne, run get Dave. "'He can round up the stuff. "'Or better still, take Rush and Randy with you "'and show them our barn.' "'She turned to them. "'Dave has been helping his father get the hay in "'before it rains again.' "'They went out the door behind Daphne.' She had almost stopped being shy, and as they passed the baby, she said, "'That's my brother Alexander. He's getting another tooth. That's why he looks at you folks like that.' The baby was scowling at them. "'Alexander Addison,' said Rush. "'With that name, he's going to have to amount to something. Maybe he'll grow up to be a famous inventor, or, or a news commentator.' "'Alexander Addison,' repeated Randy. "'He sounds like somebody who ought to have signed the Declaration of Independence. "'Maybe he'll be a governor, or an ambassador, or something.' "'Pop says he'll probably be a champion hog-collar when he grows up,' Daphne said, "'on account of the way he can holler when he's mad. "'Here's our barn.' "'The barn was splendid. "'That was the only word for it. "'It was huge and crimson.' and its ridge-pole was ornamented with lightning-rods, weather-vanes, dove-cots, and ventilators shaped like medieval pavilions. "'Come inside,' said Daphne. "'What a place it was! Lofty as a cathedral, 
full of the gold of hay and its golden, heady smell. High in the dusky shadows of the roof, barn swallows twittered and darted. Still above, from the ridgepole, came the soft stutterings of pigeons. Straw was scattered on the floor, and among it stepped a rooster with a quivering comb. "'Dave!' called Daphne. There was no answer. She called again, and a third time. "'David! We've got company, and they're right here with me.' There was a sudden rustling and crackling. Between the empty stalls stood the hay-wagon, unhitched, and filled to overflowing with its last load. A boy slid down from it suddenly. "'Dave Addison! You heard me all the time!' The boy grinned. "'Sure I did, but I was taking a short nap, what they call a siesta.' He turned to Rush and Randy. "'Hello, I've been out in the hayfield all day, and boy was it hot. I got bushed. What are your names? Mine's David Addison.' Rush told him, and explained their mission. He liked this boy's looks. He seemed to be about twelve or thirteen, and a strong, independent person. "'Sure, we've got stuff for you. Come on with me. Will you rush and help me carry it?' Randy and Daphne stood in the barn looking at each other. For some reason the shyness had come back again. "'Ever tried this?' cried Daphne suddenly, and she went up the ladder to the loft quick as a monkey, poised there on the edge like an aerial performer, and then suddenly— breathlessly arched into space, into the golden shafts of sunlight with their golden moats, and landed lightly, softly, in the hay-wagon far below. "'I have to do that, too,' said Randy, and up the ladder she went, hardly able to find a place to put her foot, the hay bulged out so richly between the rungs. The hay in the loft was soft and smothery, full of a golden sneezy dust." She sank into it up to her knees with every step. Poised at the edge, she hesitated and drew in her breath. "'Gee whiz, Daphne! It looks about a mile away, that wagon. What if I missed it?' "'You couldn't miss it, Randy. It's big as a boxcar. Come on, jump. It's fun. Honestly, it is.' Daphne's little sun-stained face was turned up to her encouragingly, pink as a strawberry. Randy couldn't be a sissy, even if she broke her leg not being one. "'Take care of me, God,' prayed Randy silently, and leaped. Oh, what joy! Right out into the air, like a bird, free as a bird, and as safe. Poof! Bounce! A feathery thump, and there she was, lying on her face, laughing in the sweet, scratchy hay. "'Hurry up, Randy! Out of the way! I'm coming!' Daphne was standing on the edge of the loft, looking down like a youthful angel, contemplating the earth. "'Well, wait a minute. Hold your horses. Wait till I get down,' commanded Randy. She slid from the wagon and ran for the ladder. "'Hurry up, or I'll catch you,' she cried halfway up. The shyness had vanished completely. Whoopsie! The shyness had vanished from them both. When they came out of the barn at last, hot and red-cheeked, there were dried clover blossoms in their hair, and bits of leaf and stalk sticking to their clothes. Daphne brushed Randy off, and Randy brushed Daphne. "'What school do you go to? What school do you go to?' asked Randy. "'I never saw you over at Carthage.' "'Oh, we go to the district school. Over toward Eldred it is. A little white schoolhouse, with a bell like a dinner bell. We've always gone there.' 
"'Hey, Randy, come help!' shouted Rush's voice. He was going toward the Surrey with his arms full of wire coat hangers and tin cans. David was following, dragging an old bedspring. Daphne and Randy ran to their assistance, and presently the back of the Surrey was heaped with a welter of scrap. Burnt-out pots and pans, flat irons, broken rakes and spades, lead soldiers and toy cars, an ancient coffee grinder, a small old-fashioned radiator, the remains of some cast-iron lawn furniture, and a doorstop in the shape of a Scotty that Mrs. Addison hated. There was plenty of room for more, however, and Rush and Randy climbed reluctantly into the front seat to continue their quest. "'You come again real soon now, Randy,' Daphne ordered. "'I'll show you how to make gingerbread.' "'You come too, Rush,' said Dave, and they promised eagerly. As they drove away, the scrap clattered and jingled. It was a festive, pleasant sound. "'I feel like a gypsy tin peddler,' Rush said. "'It would be a nice kind of life.' a wagon, a horse, and the hardware clashing together over the bumps. "'No school,' said Randy. "'No haircuts and fingernails,' said Rush. "'No good clothes,' said Randy. "'No worry about being late or early,' said Rush. They both sighed and were still, imagining a happy, untidy, leisurely life outdoors, sleeping under hedges, washing in brooks and streams, cooking stolen chicken over a campfire, throwing the bones over your shoulder into the dark. "'No dishes!' Rush began to laugh. "'Oh, boy, were we ever wrong about the Addisons, at, le- at least this species of Addison. It's the supper dishes for you and me tonight, my friend.' The next mailbox they came to was in a hollow not far from its house. Jasper Titus was the name printed on it. "'Jasper Titus!' "'Quick, Ran. What does it sound like?' "'Like a tall, cross man, kind of stingy and unforgiving. "'Check. That's what it sounds like to me, too. "'And this time, if we're wrong, we have to mop the kitchen floor.' "'The appearance of the house carried out the general idea. "'It was an old house, but not old enough, "'and it sat squarely facing the road. "'It was tall, with gables and a bay window, and in spite of the wooden lacework dripping from the eaves, it looked narrow and severe. There was a window in the front door set with hard blue and orange panes of glass. The doorbell had a handle to turn instead of a button to push. They turned it and heard a distant sound like a muffled alarm clock. Nobody came. They waited, and before they had screwed up the courage to ring it again, they heard a voice calling from somewhere. "'Round to the back! Round to the back! That door ain't been opened in nine years!' Randy and Rush walked around the house, around the bridal-wreath bushes and the canna plants, and an old tin wash-tub with pansies in it. Rush looked at it covetously. "'Scrap!' he said. He had been collecting it so passionately that there was a mad gleam in his eye at the sight of any metal." For him the commonest tin can had come to have the luster of silver and the lure of gold. The back of the house was a pleasant surprise. It was nice and friendly and untidy. Dishcloths lay drying on a box-bush, a white duck was wandering to and fro, and three grey kittens tumbled on the grass beside an elderly dog. There was a grapevine straggling over a trellis, 
a bucket upside down on a post, and a clothesline with nothing on it except some clothespins, like birds perched on a telegraph wire. Beyond the strip of grass, as far as the barn, lay a vegetable garden with bean-pole wigwams. Here and there among the vegetables were planted loud, cheerful flowers. The back of the house seemed to have nothing to do with the front. It was as if this were its real character, while the front was just dressed up to impress visitors or scare marauders. An old man was sitting on the back steps, shelling peas. He was fat and rosy-cheeked, and the only thing that kept him from resembling Santa Claus was the absence of a beard. He did have a fine moustache, though, and his hair in the sunshine was blinding white. Over his blue jeans he wore a plaid apron. "'Afternoon, folks,' said he comfortably. "'What would be your desire?' Rush explained, and the old man, Mr. Titus, looked thoughtful. Peas dropped into the basin with the sound of rain. "'Scrap! Let me see now. No cans. I put up all my own stuff in good glass jars. Seems like I got a harrow out back the orchard. Been decaying there the last nine, ten years. Probably all bound down to the earth with thistles and bindweed, bindweed by now. I know, though. I got a stove. Yes, sir, I got an old, cold, old coal stove.' He put the basin aside and lumbered to his feet. "'Too fat,' said he contentedly. "'Too blame fat. Been years accruing it.' He waddled toward the barn, still wearing his apron, which was tied in a neat bow behind. The duck, the collie, and the kittens followed too. Mr. Titus broke off a leaf of something, sniffed it, and gave it to Randy. "'Lemon verbena,' he said. "'I keep it for smellin' purposes.' He led them to a shed and opened the door. It was full of the kind of things that people can't help collecting when they live for a long time in one place. There was an old-fashioned sewing machine and dozens of mason jars, some kerosene cans, and a shelf full of oil lamps with sooty glass chimneys. There was a parrot cage and two wheelbarrows, flower pots, watering cans, a hose curled up like a serpent, and five calendars on the wall each for a different year and none for the present one. There was a dressmaker's form and a workbench with a tool rack and some very old shavings lying on it in dusty curls. There were two oil paintings, one of a man, the other of a woman. They had plain, durable faces, and the mole on the lady's chin was painted with loving care. Mr. Titus looked at the pictures thoughtfully. "'My grandparents,' said he, "'Fine folks they was, fine folks. "'But I felt better having em out here. "'In the parlor they kept looking at me hard and saying, "'Jasper, get on with your chores.' "'He shoved aside the sewing machine, and there was the stove, "'a sturdy, pot-bellied stove that had seen years of service. "'Gee, that's swell, Mr. Titus,' breathed Rush, "'the look coming into his eye. "'What about old Mrs. Gladstone?' suggested Mr. Titus, giving the dressmaker's form a good hearty spank. "'She's got a lot of metal in her, a fine stout metal carcass, and that standard.' "'But you might need it sometime,' said Rush, staring covetously at the dressmaker's form. Mr. Titus laughed. 
Even if I was constructed along the same general lines, I'd still have a hard time wearing size thirty-eight. Nope, go on, you take her. So they took Mrs. Gladstone, and a moment later the parrot cage. Mr. Titus helped with the stove, and brought part of a clothesline to lash down the cargo in the back of the Surrey. Before they left, Rush and Randy learned a lot about Mr. Titus. They learned that he was a bachelor, whose only sister had kept house for him, until her late marriage nine years before. Up to that time he had been a farmer, but now he rented his barn, meadows, and pasture land, and lived contentedly in his own house with his pets. "'Always was lazy, always will be,' he said. "'Never did like heavy chores. Just did em cause my conscience drove me. Yes, sir, drove me. And then one day it quit. Just laid down quiet and gave up the struggle. Since then, no more cows. No more horses. No more blame chickens. Only just enough to lay me a soft-boiled egg or two. No more hogs. Nothing but small-fry pets to keep me company.' No more long rows to hoe, no more corn. Just grow enough garden truck so's I want so's when I want a mess of peas for supper I can pick me a mess of peas. Same with all the rest. Always did like fussin' in a kitchen too. Like to bake. Used to be ashamed of it when I was younger, but I ain't ashamed no more. One of my marble cakes took first prize over to Braxton Fair last year. Yep, that's what I like. Pets and fussin' in a kitchen and goin' fishin'. "'And by golly, that's what I do.' "'He gave them each a pocketful of cookies, "'and, uh, whoops, "'he gave them each a pocketful of cookies when they left "'and made them promise to return. "'You and me'll go fishin', he told Rush. "'I know a pool where there's an old catfish "'big as a watermelon been looking at me mean for the last twenty years. "'I know another place where the sheep's heads "'sit right up on their tails and beg to be caught.' "'Could I come too?' pleaded Randy. "'You sure can, you sure can. "'You come, let me know when, and I'll bake us a cake. three-layer, marshmallow whip on top, coconut cream inside. "'Or a pie. "'How'd you like a Boston cream pie "'that goes down your throat just as easy and docile "'as anything you ever et?' "'He stood smiling at them, "'lost in blissful reverie at the thought of the pie. Two of the kittens played with his shoelaces, "'and the third he held,' "'letting it nip his finger gently. "'The duck had tucked its web feet under it "'and lay on the grass, as if on the surface of a pool. "'The dog, Hambone, lay beside it, "'his tongue hanging out of his mouth like a little pink flag. "'They waved good-bye. "'Boston cream pie,' said Randy. "'Cake, three layers, marshmallow whip on top. "'No wonder he's so fat.' "'Happy, though,' Rush said. "'It wouldn't suit me.' "'but I'd say there's a man whose life fits him "'just like a good old pair of shoes. "'What about it, Rush? Shall we go home? "'All that talk of food has made me hungry.' "'Me too. "'But we still have some room left. "'We'll stop at the next farm we see.' "'They were quiet. "'Tree shadows lay across the road. "'There was pink in the sunshine now, "'and blue in the shadow. "'It was getting late. "'The woods were very still.' "'Gosh!' said Randy suddenly. "'Dishes and mopping the floor.' "'That's right. Jasper Titus has the wrong name, all right. "'Look, Rush, there's another mailbox.' "'This mailbox was tipped sideways on its post, "'its door hanging open like a broken jaw. 
almost obliterated, the name O. Meeker was printed on its side in crude, staggering letters. To the left, a road branched off through the woods. Hardly a road at all, just a pair of wheel tracks with a tall, furry strip of weeds between. "'It looks deserted,' Rush said, as Lorna Doone turned in. She walked slowly there, the weeds knocking against her knees and slipping by, whispering against the wheel-spokes. The roadside was crowded with ragweed and blackberry canes, all woven together with poison ivy and wild cucumber. "'It's kind of scary,' Randy said, and added hastily, "'I like it, though.' "'Scary, my eye. Probably nothing but a dead end, and where the dickens am I going to find a place to turn?' "'What do you think the Meekers will be like, Rush, if there really are some Meekers?' "'Oh, like their name, I guess. Mild and timid and greyish. "'Yes, and with lots of children, thin and mousy. "'This time, if we're wrong, we have to wax the kitchen floor after we've mopped it.' "'How still it was! Except for the faint rattling of the scrap, there was no sound. "'They both jumped when a crow leaped, clattering and cawing from a dead branch overhead. A little farther on there was a clearing where a cow stared at them forlornly over a barbed-wire fence. "'She looks as if she wished she could go with us,' Rush said. Still farther on they emerged from the woods entirely, and found themselves looking across a hollow toward a tumble-down farm. There was a faded farmhouse, a half-dead pine tree full of flicker holes, and a knock-kneed barn with a crooked weather vane. Gee, said Rush, shall we go ask? Why, I guess so. It looks rather unfriendly, though, doesn't it? Suddenly, as they approached, two dogs sprung up from nowhere, great shaggy mongrels with burrs in their coats, barking furiously and leaping like demons at Lorna Doone. Poor horse, she was used to gentle treatment, and the suddenness of the dogs startled her terribly. She sprang forward, the surrey lurched, and off she shot like a racehorse. Randy screamed. "'Slow up, man o' war!' cried Rush, pulling on the reins. "'Doggone those doggone dogs!' The dogs were loving it. They bounded and snapped and barked their great hollow, brutal barks. Through Randy's panic-stricken mind flashed the image of a picture on the office wall, an old steel engraving entitled, Pursued by Siberian Wolves. That's what they're like, she thought, seeing the dogs with horror. She flung her arms around Rush, sure that if she fell out the dreadful beasts would make short work of her. The surrey tipped drunkenly from side to side. In the back there was a hideous banging and crashing of scrap. The stove door kept opening and slamming shut, the flat irons cavorted madly in a tin boiler, coat, coat hangers jangled like broken harp strings, and Mrs. Gladstone performed a sort of revolving waltz with the rake. From time to time a small object jarred loose flew through the air, a pot lid, one roller skate, or a lead soldier. Lorna Doone's hoofs pounded, her mane whipped the air, briars snapped against the wheels, and the dogs barked. "'Whoa!' Rush kept shouting. "'For the love of Pete, will you please whoa!' "'But the dogs!' wailed Randy. "'If she stops, the dogs!' "'King! Blackie!' bellowed a terrible voice, suddenly. "'Quit it! Shut up!' 
Randy had a vision of a man in dirty blue, his face rough with whiskers, and his mouth wide open in anger. As if by magic the dogs fell away, and in a moment or two Lorna Doone gave up her mad flight and stood trembling before the knock-kneed barn. A big brown hog looked out of the pen and rumbled at them. There was a terrible, stifling smell of pigs. "'What the devil are you doing on my place?' demanded the man. He came striding up to them, a pitchfork in his hand, and chaff sticking to his wet arms. Rush was on the ground, standing beside poor Lorna, and stroking her quivering neck, and Randy was there, too, though she did not remember having got down from the Surrey. "'Why, uh, we came to find out if you had any scrap to give to the government,' said Rush, and after a moment added, "'Sir?' "'Scrap?' said the man, and spat sideways without noticing. "'Yes, you know, old metal.' "'Cans, used wire, stove lids, any old thing. "'They need it for the soldiers,' Rush explained. "'Old bicycles,' added Randy, to her own surprise and disgust. "'She was blushing. "'Old bicycles, for heaven's sake.' "'Listen, you,' said the man. "'He came closer, and they stepped back involuntarily. "'He looked as if he wanted to hit them. "'See that gully over there? "'Erosion, they call that. "'All et away by wind and water. "'Have to keep it filled up or it'll get bigger.' "'That's where my scrap goes. "'Old bed springs, plows that's rusted, baling wire. "'And that, by heck, is where it's going to stay. "'Now get out of here. "'Go on, beat it, and don't come back, "'or I'll sick the dogs on you for sure.' "'You're not very patriotic, sir,' said Rush. "'But he didn't say it until he was back in the Surrey "'and had Lorna Doone turned around in the right direction. "'Patriotic my foot,' said the man, "'and spat sideways again. "'I gotta live, don't I?' He seemed overtaken by a wave of fury, and brandished his, brandished his pitchfork at them suddenly. "'Get out! Scram! Beat it!' They couldn't make Lorna Doone hurry. She walked slowly and deliberately, as suits a woman who has just had a fright. "'What an awful man!' said Randy. "'I hate him!' "'A heel,' agreed Rush. "'I hope he hasn't any kids.' "'Oh, he couldn't have!' Randy was horrified. He couldn't have and be so mean. But at the next bend in the road they met a hay-wagon, bulging with hay like a shaggy behemoth. It was drawn by a lean team of horses, and driven by a boy of about thirteen. Rush pulled over to the side of the road. The hay-wagon stopped, and the boy looked at them steadily, without smiling. He wore faded blue overalls and no shirt. You could see his ribs under his skin. His hair was sun-bleached almost white. "'Hello,' said Randy. It came out in a sort of a croak. She couldn't tell whether he was going to be fierce or friendly, but risked the greeting anyhow. "'Hello,' said the boy, and to her astonishment and gratification smiled a shy, radiant smile. "'Your father's just chased us off your place,' Rush said, as Lorna Doone lowered her head to the roadside weeds. We wondered if he had any scrap for us, but he didn't seem to feel like giving any. "'Ah, oh, he's mean as a rattlesnake,' said the boy carelessly, and seeing the shocked faces before him added, "'He's not my father. He's my second cousin. Took me to live with him when I was orphaned.' "'That seems rather kind,' observed Randy, and could have kicked herself for the goody-goody way it sounded. "'Not of him. No, sir. It was his wife made him do it, 
and even then the only reason he gave in was that he figured I'd be able to work and he wouldn't have to pay me anything. She sounds all right, though. She was swell. Isn't she still? asked Randy, and this time Rush kicked her himself. She died two years ago in July. Oh. Randy's face was hot. It was very quiet. Lorna Doone's industrious jaws could be heard chewing, a mellow, business-like, contented sound. "'You folks say you was collecting scrap?' "'That's right. Well, listen, I have an old express wagon, kind of rusty now, and a tricycle that she gave me when I was a kid. You want them? "'Oh, people are wonderful,' thought Randy. "'They are so kind to each other.' All memory of the horrible man had left her mind for the moment. "'You bet we do,' Rush was saying. "'Just what we need. Shall we come back with you?' "'No, no,' the boy was emphatic. "'He'd go for you, sure.' He was quiet, and for an instant his clear eyes seemed to be looking at something in his own thoughts, something he did not like. "'I tell you what,' he said, brightening. "'You folks tell me where you live, and I'll get him to you some way. First chance I can.' "'I'm Rush, Melandy, and she's Randy. "'We live at the four-story Mistake. "'Do you know where it is?' "'I've never been there, but I've heard of it. "'It's got a little thing like a cabin on the roof, hasn't it? "'I'd sure like to see it.' "'Well, come, soon as you can. "'We'll show you around. "'What's your name, anyway?' "'Mark Heron. "'I'd like to come.' "'The cloud came over his face again for a moment, "'and then he looked up, smiling his bright, shy smile.' Orin goes to town on Wednesdays. Orin? Orin Meeker, that's him. The boy wagged his head sideways in the direction of the farm. He goes to town Wednesdays, market day. You could come over. Listen, I know a place where there's good hunting for arrowheads. I found lots there. And there's a cave back in the woods that's secret. Nobody knows about it but me. And I know where there's a bee tree, and a cliff full of cliff swallows, and a marble quarry, an old one, about three miles back, full of water now, and deep. We could swim there. We could have fun. Would you come some Wednesday? Could you? Both of you? Dazzled by the riches he offered, Rush said, You bet. But Randy hesitated. What about him, Mr. Meeker? Won't you catch it if he finds out? Maybe he won't find out, and if he does, I don't care. We'll come, Randy promised. We will come. They said goodbye and drove back to the side road. He's a nice guy, Rush said. And lonesome, added Randy. Thinking of him now, she realized that she had never seen anyone so lonely in her life. They were tired and hungry suddenly. So was Lorna Doone. Her head drooped, and the swish of her tail was languid. The woods were deep and full of secrets. They seemed to grow taller in the evening. From the ditches came the accentuated fragrance of bouncing bet. "'Gee whiz!' said Randy, suddenly sitting up straight. "'Gosh! The dishes, and the mopping, and the waxing! Gee whiz!' Rush laughed. "'I know. As character-guessers, we're not so hot. "'But as junk-collectors—' "'He looked over his shoulder at the booty in the back seat. "'As junk-collectors, 
We rate a Navy E. That's the end of Chapter 2, read by me, Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on October 6th, 2012, in San Diego, California. <laughs>